Empower Radio presents Out of the Fog. Join intuitive guide and spiritual teacher Karen Hager for lively, positive conversation with lightworkers, healers, and dynamic wisdom keepers. Get ready for inspiration and connection. This is Out of the Fog on Empower Radio. Here's your host, Karen Hager. Hello and welcome to Out of the Fog. I'm Karen Hager. Each week at this time, we gather for spiritual conversation and enlightening guests, and I'm glad you're here. Time and distance are no barrier to energy, and that means no matter when you're listening, no matter how you found us, you are here for a reason. And I hope something in the next hour lights you up and helps you move forward. What does home mean to you? My guest on today's show is Raven Martirosian, and her new book explores this question through the lens of her personal journey, through adoption, her experience of coming out, her wanderlust. Raven's here to share her wisdom on the writing process, on soulmates, and much more. Are you ready to meet her? Raven Martirosian is a teacher and tarot reader who's given thousands of sessions to clients worldwide for more than a decade. Known for her humor, sensitivity, and insight, Raven offers her gifts through tarot and Reiki sessions, consulting, classes, and books. She's the author of Home, Thoughts on Belonging, and eight other works of nonfiction, including The Reluctant Tarot Reader and Just Another Crazy Cat Lady Story. Her essay, Christian LGBT Kids, You're Part of the Plan, is included in the New York Times bestselling anthology by Dan Savage and Terry Miller, It Gets Better, Coming Out, Overcoming Bullying, and Creating a Life Worth Living. You can find out lots more about Raven and her work at shivayawellness.com. Raven, welcome to Out of the Fog. Oh, thank you, Karen. It's always such a pleasure to talk to you. Oh, they, I love having you back on the <laughs> on the show. What what is it that drew you to write a book about home? Well, actually, you were one of the inspirations. Uh, we had had a conversation about a year and a half ago, and I remember you asked me, "What is home to you? You need to go and think about what is home to you." And it struck a chord in me. And I went and thought about, yeah, like, let's, you know, go on a retreat and think about what is home to you. I actually didn't go on retreat. I went across the country and wrote a book. So (laughs) I did take your advice to heart. And that started the whole process of home. And I knew that my story of being adopted was an integral part of that. When I know we've had you on the on the show before, and I know just from knowing you and loving you these many years that that your wandering, that your travel, the way that you see the world and record the world through your writing and your conversations with people, that's a huge part of your journey home. Can, can we be home and be moving at the same time? Absolutely. And some people are built to stay in their neighborhood that they grew up in and they'll stay there until they die, just like my family. And that works for them. And then there are other people like me who need to be inspired by new places and people and languages and cultures. Uh, my exploration of home really discusses being at one with ourselves, being at home with ourselves and finding that contentment no matter how much I moved around, especially in my younger years, because I have that drive because I need to be inspired 
and certainly I would say in the in my 20s it was the search for my birth parents my birth mother I didn't really put a lot of credence into that at the time but of course hindsight always gives me more wisdom and that search was absolutely a search for root there's a lot in in the new book at home there's a lot about your experiences as an adopted child in a family where the other where your siblings had also been adopted can you share a little bit about who who your family is and what that was like sure uh my family was a, a fundamentalist christian family and i have two older brothers who are both adopted from different families and we grew up in an environment where uh, my parents actually told us that we were adopted when we were very young, six or seven, which I think is a great age to tell a child so that they can have the time to integrate that knowledge. However, uh, where the story that was not encouraged after the initial one. And so I was left with many questions. And of course, you and I joke about being Gemini's all the time, but if you are an air sign, we process by talking out loud. We process by asking questions and really trying to understand these pieces of the puzzle that don't come together so nicely. It was difficult to grow up in an environment where those questions were not answered. I had a closed adoption so that it's very different from the adoptions nowadays where the closed adoption is that there's very minimal information about your birth parents and basically any history is wiped clean by court order so if you want to go back and find information, it, it can be extremely difficult, if not impossible, to find those roots. So uh, growing up in a fundamentalist environment was certainly uh, a challenge for me. But I also can see it as the real um, point of strength because it forced me to discover my origins on my own. And it really created that sense of uh, and desire for freedom. You talk in the book about... Um, being places and seeing people and wondering, is that my birth mother? Is my birth mother coming for me? What will she look like when she comes for me? If I can be good enough or smart enough or sparkle, right? That, mm -hmm. that she'll come. That's, there's a, there's a sadness to that because it, it plays out in this context of what look must have looked like from the outside to a quote, perfect family, happy family, smooth family. Right. It was a, a, a dichotomy for sure. And when people ask me, how did you become intuitive or what, what made you be intuitive? I think I was born sensitive, but certainly that incessant search for my birth parents made me intuitive because my antenna was constantly up looking and searching and observing uh, for that missing person. Mm -hmm. And as we discussed pre-show, there is that loss that no adoptive parent can fill. And there's, it's no slight against adoptive parents. If you're adopted, it's a unique experience. And, and I want to stress that this is my own experience and that I know other adopted children have had wonderful experiences and have bonded with their adoptive parents. So this is just my exclusive um, story. And it, it unfortunately kind of leans into that feeling of aloneness and, and, and it forced me to decide whether or not I wanted to find the answers, no matter how treacherous that road may have been. And there's that, there's that sense of, even at such a young age, 
the way things look is not the way they really are. My name is maybe right. not what my name really is. The the heritage that I've been given is is kind of just been stapled to me. It mm-hmm. isn't it doesn't belong. And I wonder if that's part of that that's part of what intuition is about, I think, is sure. seeing beyond the way it looks to the way maybe to what's cooking under the surface, which very often isn't nearly as neat or as tidy as we might think on the outside. Right. I mean, we walk through life with incomplete stories. And for such a child like myself, who was sensitive and also very smart, that was very unsatisfying. And and so I, I had to learn that life doesn't tie up in a neat bow and that our stories are what fuel us to decide to be creative and do something with them. You know, unfortunately, my parents, I don't think, had the emotional uh, maturity or understanding that if the conversation had continued, such as, hey, you know, you're not Armenian, but you are these cultural backgrounds, it, it probably wouldn't have hurt as much and it probably wouldn't have been as difficult a struggle because I could have accepted that there were two stories. But to have the story not be told made it that much more difficult. However, you know, I mean, I believe that we choose our families and we come into these experiences. So certainly I chose something that made me the explorer that I am. It, now, in your, um, in your adoptive family, it, w- it's, it was you and then two brothers. You searched for your birth mother. Did your brothers also search for their birth parents? They haven't. And I, you know, I get, I get this sense of sadness for them because... I know that they would have wanted to find their birth mother, at least my oldest brother would have. And it, but it's an enormous process. You know, it's not something that you just, you know, I know people now are finding their birth parents on Facebook and it's a lot easier. But when I looked for my birth parents or my birth mother, it was in the 90s. So the internet was just very fresh and new. And it costs a lot of money to, to find your parents. So there's a lot of uh, obstacles to overcome. And they, for all I know, have not found their birth parents. And my guess is they will not in their lifetime. In the book, you say blood is thicker than water. Adopted children are water. We float in, we float out. And there's that sense. I'm the mother of two um, boys who came into our family through adoption. And that idea of the adopted child as water, the adopted child flowing at a way that the adoptive family maybe can't capture or hold or understand that's very moving to me and there's sadness there for me as Mm -hmm. an adoptive mom that I can't that there's something in my boys that is elusive that I can't just like if I tried to you know grab the river I can't hold that there's something in them that Mm. flows past me always right right well it's a search for identity and I call adopted children the quintessential chimera. You know, we're always, we're obsessed with story. But again, adoptive parents can do much to mitigate this pain and the sense of loss if the conversation continues and the truth is told. Because again, my story goes back to this sensitive, observant child. And I saw through lies, even lies that weren't spoken. You know, I feel things. That's the type of intuitive I am. So I knew something was up. And I knew that something wasn't fitting. And yet I didn't have a a sense of safety to ask those questions. So when I discovered some minimal information about my background when I was 13 and discovered that I I indeed was not Armenian, but I was Mexican, Swiss and German, I 
that's when I cut myself three new parts of my identity and never went back to the lie of being Armenian because it was my right to claim what I call my birthright. And even if I didn't know much, those things were true about me. And, and so the search is not easy for anyone. It's not easy for the adoptive parent, for the adopted child, and especially if you find your birth parents. It's sort of like this day of reckoning for everybody. I know that when we're confronted with change or when things are challenging, that a lot of us react with anger. And there was a lot of anger in your family, especially mm -hmm. it sounds like a lot of anger from from your father and around your adoptive father. Right. That I, I'm there's a scene in the book where you are where you sit your adoptive parents down and say, Mom, Dad, I'm gonna go look for my birth mother and it and and they just your father just shuts you down. Mm -hmm. How does that anger for those of us who are looking who are going through change in our own lives for those of us who are maybe going to be confronted by our own children saying the way you did it isn't the right way or we don't want to do it this way we're going to look for our birth parents we're going to do whatever it is we're going to do how do we how should we react in the face of that anger i know you went off and you did what you were going to do anyway right right well, it, again, that anger built up after 28 years. And to avoid it or to, again, lessen it or mitigate it is to be excruciatingly truthful to your children and, and don't tell them anything but the truth. And the truth is, I'm not your blood mother, but I am your adoptive mother. I accept you. I love you. And of course, you know, with my father, I talk about other things in the book, you know, not accepting me as a lesbian and 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 having other struggles with dominance in him, with him and myself and a church that was primarily this heavily patriarchal God and men being in control. So there were a lot of other things that <laughs> brewing. And of course, I have to laugh because if we choose our families, then my father chose a, you know, a daughter who became a feminist lesbian. So, you know, gotcha. <laughs> it's like we, all, we both have our, our things to deal with. But to that anger was built up because I was not given uh, a chance to be told the truth. And I knew that the truth was there and I had to discover it and locate it. And of course that built up some resentment and some anger in me. But again, I gave my parents that chance at 28 to accept what I was doing and to, and to give them that chance to, to give me that sort of opened arm compassion, but they just couldn't do it. And, you know, they went as far as they could. And I can't blame them for being people that they aren't. Uh, they at least told me the truth of my adoption. You know, I could tell you many stories of children who were either lied to or never told that they were adopted and believed that their parents were their blood parents. And then they discovered it after their parents died. So thank goodness my parents told me. Kudos to them. Wow. And that's with, with my, both of my sons are African-American and, and there's no, we don't look the same right mm -hmm. we what we have said to the boys is that we our hearts go together right are right. we don't match we're not going to match it's not right. about matching but that our hearts go together and that's what that's what brings us together but it it still is you say in the book that there's a suspicion sometimes of the adopted child that even as we smile and go oh how lovely that there's a suspicion of that child what kind right. of what have they brought in with them what what might they carry that we don't know about? Mm -hmm. Right. And I could see that, excuse me, when my oldest brother was struggling with uh, drug and alcohol addiction, he created a lot of chaos in my family. 
when I was growing up and we have a, a five year difference between us. So of course, when he was going through his greatest struggle as a teenager, I was just coming into my teenage years. Mm-hmm. So we had a, um, a difficult time in the family. And if I, and I knew that people were looking at us and looking at my family and saying, you know, look what he brought into this family. He doesn't belong here. This is not genetically from my parents. You know, this is, he's a stranger. He's bringing in all this trouble. And, and I talk a lot about this cloistered loyalty, the clan, and the clan of the family and the clan of the church. And an, and an adopted child knows there's this feeling of, you know, you'll accept me until, until something happens and then you'll get thrown out. But, but Karen, again, uh, you know, I think having a real sincere uh, acceptance of your child and knowing and saying, we accept you and we love you. And we know that this is not the, the, the story of a neat, a story that's tied up in a bow where your birth parents are over here and we're over here, but really being able to accept them and love them will go a long way in healing your doctor. The lack, it's the lack of understanding that I felt most acutely growing up. And I think there's, for anybody on a spiritual journey, whether we are adopted or adoptive, whether we, whatever our story is, whatever's happened, mm-hmm. there's that part of the spiritual journey, part of growth is being able to sit with the things that don't have a neat ending where you can't right. wrap it all up at the bow, where it doesn't end right at the bottom of the hour like a sitcom does, right? And right. we tie it all up in the credits roll, that the real things in our lives, the things that mean something, change us, test us, challenge us, wound us, or delight us, those are not neatly tied up. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. And there is a hunger in the blood. We want to know where we come from. We are driven by our genetics. So this can this can be for an adopted child, a, a, a child who's from a donor, a foster child. You know, these questions will arise. It's a natural progression and a maturity, uh, especially if you're a sensitive child. So it's not about avoiding the questions. It's about facing them head on and letting your child accept and do with it whatever they need to. Because uh, I do believe that we can come to a place of peace within our incomplete stories, but it takes a lot of love and a lot of patience to get to that point. And um, <laughs> I can point out very destructive relationships I had with ex-girlfriends when I was trying to work it out. And I talk about it in the book as standing in a field of boulders. And I would ask the girlfriend of the moment to reenact my childhood and so that I could, you know, fix it somehow. And it never got fixed. And so, you know, it takes a long time to come to peace with these things. And there are ways I think in which we're all the stranger in some way at some time in some part of us there are and i feel too there are a lot of us in bodies right now who are not sure we're quite from around here anyway Mm -hmm. um and that's there are all kinds of ways of holding that feeling of being a stranger it seems to me right right That is true. And I'm a big believer in past lives and future lives and that this is one long eternal continuum. So I find myself that when I get so hung up in these stories in this one body called Raven, that I'm energy and my energy will continue on. And this is just one part of the play. And I talk about that in home that, you know, we that that basically that our life is a play and there are villains on it and people who are the major players and that all of that will change through death. And, and kind of stepping back from the story 
and saying, okay, what's the part that I play in this? What's, what are my soul lessons? And how do, I, how do I make peace with my traumas? And the way that I do that is through writing. One of the biggest ways I do it is through writing. How does this tie into, Raven, your connection with the divine, with source? Because the, the way in the beginning of the book, the way that your relationship with the church and that kind of, which feels like a very small, tight box for you and your family, um, you, you say something about how you, you left the church because you felt that the peace of God, which passeth, passeth all understanding, <laughs> had, had really passed you by, had completely <laughs> passed you. You just, there it went and you didn't have it. Right. Um, how does all of this affect your relationship with the divine? I really wanted to be an atheist or an agnostic. I tried really hard, <laughs> <laughs> but I just couldn't do it because I am, I am far too connected to uh, call it the divine being or just the delightful earth energies that we have here, you know, nature and the creator and the goddess. I'm just too connected to that energy. And uh, I think I've lived here a long time. So I have a bit of a perspective when it comes to these struggles. And, you know, I really love exploring things of the spirit and the unseen world. So this just made me search even harder for it. And to see, you know, I could go through all of these struggles and traumas and still have faith. That was the most amazing thing to me because I was bitter for a long time and I really felt let down by the church but, you know, you come to a point in your adult years where you, you have to stop blaming your parents and all the things that you came through because it really is up to us as adults to decide how we want to live this, this life. And I talk about it in the book as turning the straw of our lives into gold. You know, that's the choice that we have. And coming out of the fundamentalist church and a family that I had gave me some of the best material of my life. And I'm so grateful for it. I was talking to somebody this morning who felt like she was going through a tremendous trial of faith where there was, it just seemed like one awful happening after another, tremendous darkness around her. And she said to me that she really felt that she had looked that darkness in its face and found something inside her, something of the light to stand on. And as I read the book, as I read home, and as I sat with you through some of those cold Vermont winters, and as I traveled with you across <laughs> the country, and as I watched buildings rise and fall and relationships mm -hmm. rise and fall, do you have that feeling for yourself? Is this are we, is this about standing in the light as the darkness kind of shows its face around the edges? That is a deep question, Karen. Um, I believe that when you are connected, when you feel your connection to your life and to the higher being that you are, that there's hope and that you, be, and you move beyond the trauma, that there is a strength that carries you beyond the trauma What's helpful to me is that I remind myself that this is, we don't have one life. I do not believe we have one life and that this is an eternal classroom and we continue on and on and that this is just one little lifetime in this long continuum of experience and that we have chosen the lives that we're in and that we have chosen the people to be in this divine play. And if we can kind of step back from it just for a moment, and realize that not only will we get through it, but we, we absolutely know why we're doing this and what we're learning because life can be excruciating. You know, I talk about at the end of the book that life is, life is like a, being in a boxing ring. 
and that you better learn how to box and faint and uh, be able to move with life and not resist life. Um, so I think having faith or having a belief that there is a higher vision happening here certainly helps. You're listening to Out of the Fog with Karen Hager. My guest is Raven Martirosian, and we're talking about her journey and also her new book, which is called Home, Thoughts on Belonging. Now, Raven, that book is available exclusively on Amazon.com. Can you let listeners know how they can get their hands on that? Absolutely. If you just go to Amazon.com and look up Raven Martirosian, you'll see all of my books listed. Home is actually going to be released on the 11th, 11-11, in paperback and ebook versions. But you can pre-order the ebook right now, and it'll be delivered to your Kindle or reading device on the 11th. That's wonderful. And we'll continue our conversation with Raven Martirosian, author of Home, Thoughts on Belonging. We'll continue our conversation with her after the commercial break. We'll also, I'm going to ask you, Raven, when we come back, just to read a little bit, an excerpt, just because the language is beautiful. So join us after the break. We'll be right back after this. Hey, Larry, mind if I sit down? Nope. This coffee tastes like uh, coffee. So what's going on? Not much. What's new? Not much. Okay, but can you please put the newspaper down while you say not much? What newspaper? This newspaper. Oh, dude! What happened to your face? I see one, two, Ow. three, four, five, six... Ow. Dude, what is Ow. this? Eleven pieces of toilet paper stuck to your face? I'm shaving in the dark to save energy. I'm helping the environment. That's a dangerous way to help the environment. Well, sometimes you have to sacrifice yourself for the greater good. Dude, there's an easier and safer way to help the environment without sacrificing yourself. Go green, go public. Take public transportation. It's good for the environment and you won't have to live behind a newspaper. Wow. But for now, put the newspaper back up. A message from the public transportation systems across the country. To learn more, visit publictransportation.org. nice to come home. But these days, many Americans are at risk of foreclosure and losing their homes. Fortunately, help is available. Making Home Affordable is a free program from the U.S. government that has already helped over a million struggling homeowners, and we want to help you. I'm home. I'm home. And I love it. I'm home. I'm home. Find out now what your options are. Go to makinghomeaffordable.gov or call 1-888-995-HOPE. The sooner you act, the better chance we can help you. I'm home, I'm home, where I be. Brought to you by the U.S. Treasury, HUD, and the Ad Council. Sassy! Sassy! This week's episode, Danger at the Old Well. Last one to the old well's a rotten egg! Ha-ha, I win! Whoa! Johnny fell down the well! I'm wet! What, Sassy? You know where Mr. Gunderson keeps his rope? Go get it, girl! What? You'd rather use his time to set people straight about shelter pet adoption? I'm cold! People shouldn't be afraid to adopt from a shelter? 
Because shelter pets are screened for sound health and temperament? I'm wet and cold! Sassy, what about Johnny? <laughs> what? Let Johnny sit in the well until he learns to be more self-reliant? Sassy! What do you say? Sassy is brought to you by the Ad Council and the shelterpetproject.org. Remember, adopt! And now back to Out of the Fog with Karen Hager on Empower Radio. EmpowerRadio.com Welcome back to Out of the Fog. I'm Karen Hager, and I'm talking with Raven Martirosian. Her new book is Home, Thoughts on Belonging. That's available exclusively on Amazon.com, being released on November 11th, 2015. You can find out more about Raven and her work at shivayawellness.com. That's S-H-I-V-A-Y-A, wellness.com. And of course, I welcome your feedback, your questions, your comments about what you're hearing today. What does home mean to you? What are the places in your life that you're coming to terms with that might be a little bit messy, a little bit raw, something that you can't tie up neatly with a bow? You can always reach out to me through my website, karenhager.com. And Raven, I'd love to, part of why you're writing, I, I think moves me so much. And I was saying to you off the air, I cried like six times um, <laughs> reading the book. Um, part of the reason that your books are so moving, it's not just the story, it is the way it's written. And I'm wondering if you can share that, just share a little excerpt from the book with the listeners. I'd be happy to. Okay. When the work gets done, when inspiration ticks elsewhere, when the soul yearns, these are the signs, vague though they may be. It's one of the reasons migrating geese always make me cry. The power, the direction, the singular focus. I watch from the ground, one hand cupping my eyes as they fly past. Safe travels, geese, I yell, but they don't hear me. What I do know is that they will return. I don't require a reason to explain my movements, but find myself listing them. Proof for the irrepressible judge in my mind. I list them to calm myself. I list them to justify the uprooting of a calm, solid life. I move because I can. I move because I don't require a chaperone. I move because I'm young and wish to experience the world in any way I please. I move for love of landscapes, women, food, and the ability to careen down highways free from armed militias. I move to create beauty from inspired eyes. I move to appreciate what I've left. I move to share my light. I move in celebration of this exquisite freedom. Friends say, you can always return to Vermont, and more than likely the magic of the Green Mountains will call me home. Someday, perhaps. But I will not be the same woman who left, nor will I stay. Taurus lingers in the background, a tickle in my throat that warns of impending hurt. The unfinished story, so attractive in its empty pages, the meditative journey of desire. Tell us about Taurus. Oh, Taurus. That's a whole chapter in and of itself, isn't it? Hmm. <laughs> Taurus is my, what you call the queen of soulmates. And I talk a lot about soulmates and home and whether or not soulmates can be your home. And who doesn't love a great tortured love story, right? <laughs> it, can we find home in another person? Until you can find home in yourself, the home will not be in anyone else because people come and go and an adopted child knows that 
very intimately that people come and go and there's no guarantee of sticking around. So what are soulmates? What does that mean? Well, soulmates, there are varying opinions out there. Uh, My feeling on soulmates is that we have many people who have heart connections to us in this lifetime. And it doesn't necessarily mean intimate partners, but people who are are what I call my soul friends. However, I do think that we have, um, or at least I have a bond with Taurus that has gone many, many lifetimes in the past. And from what I've heard from readings that we've been together for eons and we're finding our way back to each other, but it's been a struggle and many obstacles. Soulmates to me are people who are our mirrors and they hold up things about us that need to grow and evolve or uh, be cast aside that they really understand us on a very deep level. There's a bond there, but it doesn't mean that it's happy, happy, joy, joy all the time. In fact, soulmates can create a lot of pain but they're also the truth tellers and they come back to shake us up and to help us become alive again. And it doesn't mean that they're going to stay, but more than likely they'll return either in this lifetime or the next, because there is that eternal bond. And, you know, I'm a big romantic. I believe that I, there is one person that we split from, like Plato said that we split from long ago and we've spent all of this time trying to find our way back to each other to be merged again. But so many don't find, we're scrambling after that completion and don't find it in this life. Right. There's no guarantee. Uh, That's why I talk about this relationship with soulmates as something that is ephemeral, that we have times where we come together and then break apart, come together and break apart, because there's such an intensity there that it can really burn you out. And that I feel like you have to be on a very similar path or level to come together and stay together. So for example, if you have karma with other people or you're in other relationships or that you haven't learned something that you need to learn on your own, it's not really going to work out to come back together with your soulmate. You know, it's like you have to get your lessons straight before you can really have that merging again. That's my opinion. Who knows if it's right or not, but uh, soulmates have this intensity together. I talk a lot about uh, that in my soulmates chapter about uh, being in the dra- land of dragons that, you know, <laughs> here be dragons and soulmates can do that, that it's a quick and quick slide into the mouth of the sleeping dragon. Cause watch out when you wake up that dragon, a lot can happen. Well, and it, to, to me, this is tying back to what, what we were talking about before about being able to see behind the way things appear, our connections with our soulmates very often don't fit into those neat categories. I met my soulmate and now we are married and we have been together for the last 200 years. I met my soulmate and everything is perfect. I met no, or right. at least in, in my experience, our <clears throat> relationships with our soulmates are real relationships that are fraught with delight and idiocy and things going horribly wrong and things going beautifully right. And it's right. a lot more complicated than just what you'd read in a magazine. Absolutely. It's, there's a depth to it and a, and a real challenge because soulmates are there to help you grow. And uh, there is a great romantic, you know, rom-com sort of idea of a soulmate, but that's not been my experience. At what I've seen with soulmates, both in my clients and talking to uh, my tarot mentor and other people who are in, in intuitive work, 
soulmates come together. They find each other in a lifetime. It doesn't mean that they're lovers necessarily, but they find each other. They have an experience. They break apart. And in terms of people who are lovers, such as Taurus and myself, there's a split that happens. They usually go off and have a family or have another experience with another person. And then down the road, they come back together again. That's what many of my tarot readers have told me in their experience with soulmates. I've met clients as well who've had soulmates that come together after many years of other marriages and other people, and they have this blissful time, and usually one of them dies. One of them dies young, or they don't have a long time together, but they, they take that time, and they, they make the best of it, and then one goes off. There's always, that's the thing, right, Karen? There's always separation. There's always separation and shifting. Because as soon as we try to hold on to something, as soon as we try to hold on to a story or an identity, it slips away. And that's something I really talk about in the book, that identities and stories can imprison us as much as they can free us. Hmm. I will sometimes connect with people who have feel that they've spent their lives looking for their other half, looking for the one and the question when they come to me when we're working together intuitively is, is this the one? How about this one? Is this the one? When will there be the one? Right. And I don't know if I'm sure there is a one. I think there are several ones, mm -hmm. but I don't know if there is a one. What do you think about that? You're the one, you know, you, you huh. yourself are the one. I thought and... you meant me personally. I was just, <laughs> no, I was getting no, all choked no, up. Okay. <laughs> well, Karen, you never know, but... <laughs> But it's truly, I mean, if you in yourself are the one, and then there are many other ones. And in my story, Taurus is uh, very important to me and very much who I consider. I love your term, queen of soulmates. But as I say in the book, life could take us in other directions. And there could be other women who come into my life who love me and are, are other mates of my heart it'll feel different than being with Taurus. Absolutely. But it doesn't mean that I wouldn't have a fulfilling and satisfying relationship with them. How sad if we only had one soulmate and it didn't work out. I mean, because if you read the book, I mean, I've had decades of struggle with Taurus. So if I was waiting my whole life for this to resolve itself and say, well, there's no other soulmate, that really limits my possibilities in this lifetime. And I don't want to do that as much as I may feel a bond. And if indeed you know, I've been doing this with Taurus for 50,000 years, and there's probably a good guarantee that we're going to come around and do this again sometime. <laughs> that it's not over. Right. Yeah. I can pretty much put a bet on that. <laughs> a big part of the power of this book to me is the way that you show how the little rigid boxes that we make, whether it is our church or the idea of how we should love or what a name means, how those little boxes hurt us, keep us small. And you throughout the book are breaking out. Every time somebody gives you a box, you bust through it and, <laughs> and go and do something else. What would you say to people listening who feel like they're in a little box and don't know how to get out of that? There always comes a time where the door opens and we choose whether or not to walk through that door. Uh, it's very difficult to leave the church when you're gay in a fundamentalist church. It's very hard to leave because you'll lose everything. So I understand, for example, if someone decides to stay and have sort of a sham marriage because they want to keep up appearances. However, the time will come where that door opens that you can leave. And it's just a matter of deciding whether or not you want to. It takes a long time. You know, I, I was thinking about it today, Karen, that it's just amazing 
after all of the traumas that everyone has experienced, that we can actually get up in the morning, we can put on our clothes and go out into the world. It's just astonishing to me the amount of courage that takes. And perhaps for some people, they'll stay in a box for this entire life. And next lifetime, there'll be some you know, wild, crazy skater punk kid in Hawaii. <laughs> you know, I'm hoping that for my mother, actually, my adoptive mother who died five years ago. I hope upon hope that she's somewhere in Hawaii, this rebellious girl who grows up and just creates havoc for her family. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that so much for her. Well, it's interesting because we create, I believe, even in our boxes where we feel I must be because of necessity or practicality or what will people think, I'll stay in this box. I believe that even in those little tiny boxes, we can create our own, we can build our own doors, we can build windows, we can, that there are, that there's help no matter how small the box is. Right. And there's, and you're right, there's all kinds of ways that we can free ourselves. We can write in a journal. We can go have coffee with a trusted friend. We can get an intuitive session or a massage. There are many ways to discover freedom. And, uh, you know, I dedicate home to the spirit and power of women. And I'm very passionate about uh, talking about that with this book because of all the women who came before us to create this immense freedom that we have, it's, it's time to take advantage of it and that they couldn't. You know, how extraordinary that I can drive across the country twice in a year fly across the country innumerable times and not be stopped by anyone or have a chaperone. And a and hundred years ago, women couldn't even vote. I mean, it's just mind blowing when you think about it. And having our freedom, what will we do with that? What as women of spirit, of, of power, of license to do as we please and not be sort of overseen or overshadowed, shadowed, what will mm-hmm. we do with that power? Right. And it's important that we provide examples for the women who come after us and that we provide and keep those doors of freedom open. Because again, life shifts and changes and we never know how, what direction that's going to go in. So I may not have given birth to children in this lifetime, but my children are my words and my books and, and, and certainly taking advantage of the freedom that stands in front of me and having this, this chance to move in any way that I please. I do that in celebration for the women who never could. Now you are the author of, gosh, I don't know, like 825,000 books. (laughs) How do you, with the writing being your freedom, with the writing being the way that you kind of cope with process, some of the things that have happened, how do you begin to write? And especially how do you write something like this where you might irritate or anger or hurt other people? Memoir can be tricky, and certainly many of the characters in that book are still alive. And if they actually do read the book, then maybe there'll be some serious conversations at the dinner table again. So uh, it's a risk. Everything is a risk. But I've always been a writer, and I, I use words to make sense of this world. And starting a book is really allowing the words to come in any way that they please. So whether it's Um, reading a good book and getting inspired by it or jotting down notes as you're taking a walk or talking into your voice memo on your iPhone about something you'd love to talk about with people or starting a blog, whatever way, or starting a painting. I mean, whatever way that you want to express that creativity is the most important. Uh, For me, writing comes easily. It's just part of my gift. And uh, however, starting a book is not easy. And uh, there, there always comes a point when I 
create a book. It's generally when I get, I get the first draft almost to a workable point and I look at it and I think, what is this crap? You know, and what am I talking about here? Nobody wants to hear about this. And I almost want to throw it out the window. I get to such a point of frustration that I think, oh, what am I writing? Why did I start this? The problem is, is that I'm kind of like a dog with a bone. You know, once I start something, I have to finish it, especially with a story such as this. And I couldn't have told this story any earlier in my life because I just wasn't ready. It's all about the right timing. And for some traumas, you're never going to talk about them. You're not going to talk about them in this lifetime. Maybe you'll talk about them in, you know, three lifetimes from now. But for me, I held that identity of adoption so close to my chest for so many years because I didn't want people peering in and I didn't want their judgments and I didn't want their rude questions about my birth mother. But after a while, I was like, why am I holding on so tightly to the story? Like, what am I protecting? What, why is this so, you know, such a hard thing for me to let go of? And I realized that here it is, you know, here's the book. And that in writing the book, it was my freedom because I'm basically, I mean, between Taurus and my adoption and talking about coming out as a lesbian, I think I'm, you know, reclusive and secretive. I think I've just blown the lid off of all that. (laughs) (laughs) Those terms can just be thrown out now, you know, because I I think, oh, yeah, I'm I'm a woman of mystery. And people walk up and they're like, hey, I read your book. Where are you? Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You know about that now. (laughs) So you're going to have to cultivate new mysteries. I guess um, so. Or I just need to live more life so I can actually write another memoir. I think just silly fiction is going to be next <laughs> in oh. the genre now because I've I've kind of worn out the memoir for a while. <laughs> but you're bringing up something really important, which is that we allow, I'm remembering the excerpt you read, I move because I'm free. I move because I can. You write because you're free because you can. You don't have to wait till the story is over or resolved to tell it. Well, the story will never be resolved. Right. Never For me, ends. the story will never be resolved. And I have to make peace with that. And I think that, that, that I didn't want to let go of that. I wanted to have it be resolved or I wanted to hold on to it so no one could change the story for me. And I, after a while, it just gets so tiring to hold and carry around. And I, I want to be free. I'm 45. You know, I just want to be free in my life. And I am free. I know for me, when I look back at, I turned 50 this year, which is a, you know, that's, gosh, that makes you stop and think there just a little bit as those numbers roll over on your odometer. 50, really. And as I look at some of the stories that I've told myself about my life, things that happened to me, the why I am the way that I am, as I examine some of those stories, Raven, I become more aware that some of what I've been telling myself is one of those tight, small, shiny boxes. Mm -hmm. And that under, maybe the real story is underneath that right at age 45 or 50 we can look at it as oh no i'm i'm halfway through this journey or whatever but if you believe in you know the eternal continuum it's just one little anthill in the mountains (laughs) of lifetimes but even in terms of okay maybe we just live this one life and we're done and we're dust and that's it we have this age range that we're in you know call it the crone or you know the wise woman era it provides such a chance to be free, right? Because the eagle-eyed satellites are all gone. There's no more parents telling you what to do. There's no more this or that teachers. We really have this sense of freedom that I think people in their 20s and 30s just don't have because there's such expectation on them. So this is the gift. This is the gift of this age period. Huh. 
I um, was in San Francisco a few months ago uh, to do some teaching and connecting with people there. And I woke up early because the jet lag always gets me, you know, now that I'm old, woke up early and walked down the hill to a coffee shop. And I was sitting there drinking my coffee. And all of a sudden I thought, you know, I could do whatever I want. Right. I'm a grown up now. In fact, I'm a little bit past a grown up. I could do whatever I want. And for whatever reason, that was so freeing. And it's kind Mm -hmm. of sad that I didn't realize that when I was, you know, 21. Because you couldn't do what you wanted to. (laughs) I mean, at least the the 21 that I had, there was so much expectation that I placed on myself and that other people had on me. And at 45, even if there is expectation on me, I just, I'm like, yeah, whatever, you know, it's like, but it's usually my own perfectionism or expectation on myself that I have now more so than any other outside voice. But when you talk about where, how do we release ourselves from these boxes is to really get friendly with our freedom. That can be challenging if you've been taught that your freedom is dangerous or you shouldn't have it. Mm-hmm. Or that if you misuse it, you know, okay, here's your freedom, but don't make a mess of it. Oh, you made a mess of it. I knew you would. It can be very right. challenging to have someone say, get comfortable with your freedom. Yeah. Well, this is true that, that it, life is full of surprises. And uh, I lived in a lot of boxes and they were very uncomfortable. So, and, and again, remember, I mean, it's better to be here than back in the 1800s or the 1900s where we couldn't even walk outside without a chaperone. So (laughs) we have a lot of opportunity to explore this question. Now, part of what you do as a, as a teacher, as a guide, as a tarot reader is you're kind of opening up that mystical path of freedom and laying that out in front of people to help them get a better idea about maybe their path, about their story. Mm -hmm. Are these connected for you, tarot and writing and travel? And truth? They are because it's so unconventional to do the work that I'm doing. It's the last thing I expected to be doing in my life. But it it goes beyond the realm of, you know, this is this life and this is what I'm doing. And this is, you know, I'm going to, you know, all these goals and bucket lists, you know, tarot and working with the intuitive world is connecting to this unseen force. And I did a Reiki session today on a young woman who is writing a paper on what she considered light workers for a college class, which I thought, how amazing is that in and of itself? But she asked me to explain Reiki and what I did. And it's really difficult to describe, you know, channeling healing energy through my body. But when she experienced it, she actually understood it. And it goes beyond the bounds of words or explanation. It's feeling. And I think that Freedom, the freedom for me comes through my writing and traveling and tarot is because I can actually feel and be in this experience and not feel badly about it. Because I, when I was a child, I felt all the time and I felt that that or that that sensitivity put me in a dangerous position and I had to harden myself. And I've been learning to unharden myself and understand that my sensitivity is a gift because it does connect me to those other worlds. Call it my higher self or call it you know, an understanding that this is not this limited, you know, I have X amount of years before I die. I don't believe that at all. I think that we, we have so much more experience ahead. I just feel it in my core. How can listeners connect with you, find out more about your work, pre-order the book, gaze upon pictures of you? How can we find you? The wonderful world of Facebook would be probably the easiest way to find me. 
I have a Facebook page under Raven Martyrosian. Certainly they can come to my website, which is shaviawellness.com. And that's S-H-I-V-A-Y-A wellness.com. I'm on Amazon under Raven Martyrosian. And there is a link for home thoughts on belonging on Amazon. You can click and pre-order the ebook. And I'm also on Instagram, Goodreads, Google Plus, you name it. I'm on it. Everything but Twitter, pretty much. <laughs> Twitter's too short. Yeah. There yeah, are... I can't do Twitter anymore. And I'm not on Pinterest, so but but certainly my website lists all of the places you can find me. Oh my goodness. I'm on Pinterest, but it's because I'm finding knitting patterns and um and hoarding them away for <laughs> um <laughs> for knitting. I think that knitting. I would resonate with Pinterest being a Gemini, but I find it very I don't know, almost too much for me. Overstimulation. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Now what's next? Because you really are a prolific author. I can't imagine you ever stopping writing. What's next? I, for writing, I have no idea. It's a total blank slate. And of course, uh, because the book is written, I'm not done. I'm actually just starting to to promote it. And because I'm a self-published author, I will have to go out and do, you know, hustle events and sell books and things like that. And I really am going to spend a lot of time promoting home because I'm very proud of the book and it is my best book to date. I'm very, very connected to it. So I'd like to give it the time that it deserves to get it, get it out into the world. So I'm not sure what's next for writing, but you're right. I mean, I will have another book coming up, probably some silly fiction because, you know, the heavy memoirs, I can just let go of those for a while. (laughs) And I will be uh, traveling out to Portland, Oregon, uh, which is like my second home now. And I'll be out there on the weekend of the 14th of November. I'll be teaching a tarot class called Secrets to a Great Tarot Reading, where I'll do a live play-by-play of how I read the tarot. And then I'll be reading uh, the tarot at New Renaissance Bookshop on the 15th. So if you want to connect with me out on the West Coast, I'll be at New Renaissance Bookshop on the 14th and the 15th. Wow. Wonderful. Raven, thank you so much for, for being on the show. It's always a great pleasure to connect. Thank you so much. Thank you, Karen, so much. It's wonderful to talk to you. That is Raven Martirosian. Her new book is Home, Thoughts on Belonging, and you can get that exclusively on Amazon.com. So just go to Amazon.com and look for Home, Thoughts on Belonging. This is a a beautifully written, very moving book that I recommend highly, not just because it made it, me cry so many times, although that's always the way to my heart. It's <laughs> to write the book that makes me cry. And of course, I always welcome your feedback about the show. You can check in with me anytime through my website, which is karenhager.com. There's free stuff on there to look at in all kinds of ways to connect with me. That is all at karenhager.com. And thank you for listening today. Together we are spreading a little more light in the world, and a little more light is always a good thing. Until next time, I'm wishing you peace. Peace.